Thank you, Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to, uh, we're going to start with Acts chapter 2. I'm going to be all over scripture today. I have a very, um, I have a lot to say this morning, and I'm going to try to get it all in, but if we, if we have to save some for next Sunday, I'm totally fine with that. Um, but we, we talk about our annual church report every year because of two reasons. Number one, I want our church, I want you to be aware of the impact that you're giving, that your generosity has in our community and in the world. <clears throat> and number two, our church passionately believes that transparency is the healthiest way to steward our finances. And so it is an opportunity for you to discover uh, how your giving impacts our community, and uh, it's about transparency as well. And I realize for those of you who are new to church and coming here and going, what is this church all about? Pastor's talking about money today. Everybody, don't get up and walk out yet. I realize that talking about money in church has its hurdles because many extravagant ministries in our country today have put this very bitter taste in people's mouths and have, have caused them to think one of three things. There are some hurdles that we over, have to overcome today. The first hurdle is that some people believe that the church is only out to get my money. Maybe you don't come to church very often, but it seems like every time you come to church, the pastor's talking about money. Welcome to Desert Church. Here we go again. But, but, but that is one hurdle is that people think the church is only out to get my money. They're only ever talking about finances. That's not true in our church. In fact, I think this is the second time that I've talked about giving and generosity in the three years that I've been here. The second thing, the second hurdle is that some people believe that the way that I use my money has nothing to do with my relationship with God. Why are we talking about money and finances in church? It has nothing to do with my personal relationship with God. And the third hurdle is that tithing was only for Old Testament people. And, and people get offended when the church uh, tells people that they have to tithe. They think it's an Old Testament concept and we don't have to follow those laws anymore. You know, when I got my first part-time job working at a church, I've been working for, I've been in, in ministry since uh, 2011, I think is when I joined ministry, and I got my first part-time job, and at the time I got my first job, I wasn't a tither, I was a tipper. I, I, I generosity was something I practiced only when I felt generous, or when money wasn't tight. When it was easy to give, that's when I tipped to the church. And one of the pastors that I was on staff with, they approached me, and he asked me why I wasn't tithing. <laughs> How dare you? I was offended, but I really didn't have an answer for him because I didn't really believe it was that big of a deal. Like, What's the big deal? I wasn't making much money. I'm, you know, young, 21 years old, working a part-time job. I wasn't making much money. Things were kind of tight, you know, paying for rent, fresh out of the house. I didn't have very much to give. Why was this pastor talking to me about something that was so deeply personal to me? Our, our finances are so deeply personal, aren't they? And I'm getting into your stuff today. I might just step on some toes. That's Okay. I realize now, though, that my pastor wasn't attempting to squeeze generosity from me. He wasn't trying to do something sinister. He, he wanted me to experience a new level of intimacy with God that comes by acknowledging that I'm only a steward of the resources I've been given. And this doesn't just involve your money, but this involves you parents. Like, your children, they're not yours, okay? You're a steward of the kids that God has given you. 
The, the time that you have, did you know your time doesn't belong to you? You don't know how much time you have left. You are a steward of the time that God has given you. Your relationships. You're a steward of those relationships. And this is what my pastor was trying to tell me. And today I'm talking about money, not because God needs your money or the church needs your money. In fact, our church is doing great financially. You're going to learn this next week. I, I, prom- I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't talk about finances at church when we needed it. Because I didn't want it to sound, sound like I was trying to... Trying, trying to squeeze generosity out of people. I, uh, our church's finances are so healthy. They're the healthiest they've ever been in the history of our church. And I believe that it's, it's in this season that we can talk about what generosity does in our lives. But I'm talking about money this morning because I genuinely believe that God doesn't want generosity from you. He wants generosity for you. I love this quote by Kenton Bashore. Uh, he's a pastor of Mariner's Church. He said this, giving is not God's way of raising money. It's his way of raising people with surrendered hearts. Giving is an extension of our worship. It's a part of our worship. And if you were to create a list of virtues seen in the first church by reading the book of Acts, and by the way, we always, our church goes back to Acts chapter 2. When you come to Grow Class today, if you join us at Grow Class, you'll learn that um, our, our, our entire model for ministry comes out of Acts chapter 2. It's where pastors and discipleship leaders go to look at what, how are healthy followers of Jesus supposed to walk? What are the qualities? What are the virtues of the first church that we are supposed to implement today? And if you were to create a list of virtues exemplified by the book, by, by, the, by the first church in Acts, one of the most defining virtues of a Christian would be generosity. It'd be right up there with, with forgiveness and loving your enemies. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Let me stop there. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And it doesn't just mean hanging out together, although it does include that. It includes fellowship, community, hanging out together. But that word means active participation. It means ownership. And that includes uh, that includes our finances, that the church, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They took ownership and partnership of the ministry. They took ownership of the church and what God was doing. And that included, even with their finances, giving to the ministry. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every time I read this, it just sounds so utopic. It's like, oh, wow, the first church was perfect. Nobody had anything in need. They all sold their property and possessions. It just sounds, sounds crazy. But the reality is, is you cannot separate following Jesus from the call to be generous. Along with forgiveness and love for your enemies, generosity is one of the most defining qualities of a follower of Jesus. Because our master was generous. Jesus, the one who we follow, the one who we model our lives after, he was generous. He didn't hoard the five loaves and the two fish for himself and his disciples alone. He fed the crowd with it. He gave everything he had in service for others, and we have an opportunity to model the generosity of Jesus in our lives today. Did you know that Jesus taught more about money than he taught about faith and prayer combined? More than anything else, Except the subject of the kingdom of God, Jesus taught about 
our money. Why? Because Jesus was aware that the power that money can have over our lives can help accomplish God's purpose on earth or it can enslave us. And Jesus taught about money to set people free from being enslaved to their finances, being enslaved to money. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. We're going to read what Jesus says about money. And I want you to count in your head how many times the word worry comes up. All right? Here we go. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Isn't that true? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Money causes worry, doesn't it? causes anxiety. Even some of you today, as I'm talking about money, you're feeling a little anxious. I get anxious when I talk about it. It causes anxiety. It causes worry in many lives today. We have money problems in our culture today. Money, did you know this, that money is the number one cause of stress in marriage? Somebody say amen. No, don't. Don't say amen. (laughs) A difference in opinion about saving and spending habits creates tension in a marriage. Problems also arise due to drastic difference in income between spouses. When one person makes more money than the other, they may start to feel resentful about the hours they put in at work, and they may also think that they have more of a right to that money. I can spend my money however I want. This is my money. I worked hard for it. It causes tension. It causes worry and problems in marriages. Did you know this? Only 21% of Christians in America give at least 10% of their annual income. In the first quarter of this year, the average credit card debt of Americans totaled $841 billion, which means the average cardholder has $5,769 in credit card debt. And this speaks to when we live beyond our means and we go into debt. And by the way, I'm not trying to shame anybody in this room. To be honest, my wife and I, we have some credit card debt that we're paying off. Okay? Full transparency. But listen, I'm not trying to shame anybody, but when we live beyond our means and go into debt, we're essentially questioning God's provision and promise to provide for us. And maybe you're like me. I trust deeply that God is going to take care of what I need. He's going to make sure that my kids have food in their bellies, that we're warm, that we're clothed. I know that God is going to take care of what I need based on what we just read in Matthew. But I'm not so sure God is going to take care of what I want. So I spend a little money on the credit card. 
Because God, you know, he might care about what I, what's essential, but he doesn't care about my desires, so I'm going to get those myself. And we go and we put money on the credit card because we don't trust that God is truly our joy, and he's going to take care of even the desires of our hearts. Now, this isn't a prosperity. I'm not trying to say, like, God's going to give you the car that you want. He's going to give you the bigger house. No, I'm not saying that. Is is that God deeply cares about your personal life. He knows the desires of your heart. And we need to learn to trust God. If we bring this a little closer to home, 9.6% of Grant County earns less than the poverty threshold. And I, re- I understand that sometimes poverty is the result of things out of a person's control. Sometimes that is the case. And so I'm not here to shame anybody. I'm not here to talk down to anybody. But the bottom line is that money can cause us to worry and become discontent. And it distracts us from what's truly important. And Jesus knew this and he had a lot to say about our money. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from God. Every breath that you breathe is a result of is an extension of God's grace on your life. We truly have no control even over how much time we have left on earth. Now, you may think that your possessions and your resources are are a result of, of your own hard work, but in the grand plot of your life, those things are really a result of God's goodness over our lives. And when God gives you a resource, however big, however small, he's waiting to see what you do with what you have. I want to talk this morning about three mindsets that we can have with our money. When we have been given a resource, we have three mindsets that we can think from when we use this resource, when we think about our money. The first mindset is the bag mindset. Now, some of you may have heard me talk about this before in church, but it's the bag mindset. It's the mindset that there's not enough to go around. We don't have enough. I'd like to give, but I simply just don't have enough. There's too much month at the end of the money. I can't do it. And some of you may feel like this scripture in Haggai, chapter 1, verse 6. It says, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Does anybody's bank account feel like a bag with holes? I got four kids. It feels like that sometimes to me. It's that feeling of your bank account getting drained. Like there's a hole in the bag and money keeps falling out of that hole. Inflation rises. Rent goes up. Groceries and gas, they get more expensive. It's crazy today, isn't it? Your kids keep asking you for money. That's a hole in the pocket, in the pocketbook. And you feel like you're getting ahead at times, and then something happens. Your transmission goes out. Or there's a medical expense that you have to pay for. And no matter how hard you try, there's just nothing left over. I just can't get it. There's not enough. And as much as you would like to be generous, you don't feel like you can. Now, if you find yourself in this mindset, you're not alone. Take a deep breath. You're not alone. Uh, this is the mindset that I believe a lot of people grew up with because it was modeled to them by their parents. And it's a scarcity mindset. And maybe some of you have heard it described as a poverty mindset. And those of us who have this mindset that it's, it's, there's just simply not enough, 
Now, there's always a little truth in that, but, but the thing is, is God's waiting to see what you, with, he's waiting to see what you do with what you have. But those of us with this mindset, our faith isn't oftentimes in God. Our faith is in the bag. What's in the bag? The bag is going to take care of me. The bag is going to provide for me. The bag needs to be full. There's someone else in scripture who had a bag mindset. His name was Judas. And he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He cared more about what was in the bag than having a relationship with his Lord and Savior and friend. See, people who don't give with their tithes and their offerings in the church, it's because they have this mindset. How could I give 10%? I have bills. My kids are getting ready to go to college. I have fill in the blank. This is the popular mindset. And it's just the way it is. You're not alone. But the second mindset that we could have when it comes to our finances, it's the basket mindset. It's the, it's the idea that I have more than enough. And this is a little bit more exciting. This mindset, it, it's people who trust God to provide for their every need and give freely. They give freely and cheerfully. Deuteronomy 28, verses 4 through 6. It says, the fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. See, the basket that this verse is, is referring to, it's referring to a container that would hold produce. It was a sign of their prosperity. It was the fruit of their labor and the product of their obedience. And Jesus talks about this basket in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, when he says this. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, Jesus knows that he's speaking to an agricultural community. He's speaking to a farming community. Am I speaking to a farming community today? Any farmers in the room? I know there is. But he's speaking to a farming community. There, there was a grain harvest, and, and when there was this grain harvest, there were two types of people who would fill their baskets. Now, the first type of person who filled the basket with grain was the laborer. And this was the person who was getting paid to gather the grain. So they would fill the basket part way. They're just trying to do their job and get the storehouse filled with grain, right? But they would fill their baskets part way and just try to get it done fast. The second type of person to fill their basket, they were the gleaner. And oftentimes the master of the field would be generous and he would allow the poor people to come and to glean the harvest that the laborers had missed. How do you think the gleaners filled their baskets? You guys ever been to like a buffet where there was soft served ice cream? And you you fill your cup and there's some air pockets. So you just kind of pack it down, do it again, pack it down some more, put the lid on, pour some more and pack it down. Or 7-Eleven with a slushie. You guys ever done that before? You just fill the slushie up, put the lid on and stick it back in. Make sure that thing is spilling out over that dome top. You pack that stuff in. You want to get as much out of it as you can. Get the biggest bang for your buck, right? Now, these were the gleaners. And this is what Jesus is talking about. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that that you use, it will be measured to you. 
God is an abundant, extravagant God, and he wants to fill your basket, not necessarily all the time with money, but he wants to fill your basket so that it is running over. And Jesus makes it clear in Scripture that when you're faithful with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. In other words, if you're faithful what's in the ba- with what's in the bag, you can be trusted with what's in the basket. There's another story in the Gospels about Jesus and this basket mindset. Now, Jesus was ministering and preaching, and, and he was long-winded. He went a little too long. And there's over 5,000 people listening to him, and they're all tired, and they're a long way from home. They're a long way from the store, and everybody's getting hungry, and they have nothing to eat. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, go feed him. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? What, what are we going to feed him with? And this boy comes to Jesus with five loaves of bread and two fish, and he offers his food. Now, imagine for a moment that this boy had a bag mindset. Imagine if this boy brings five loaves, two fishes to this afternoon sermon, and he thinks to himself, he's surrounded by thousands of people. And imagine if this boy had a bag mindset and thought, oh, there's just not enough to go around. I'm going to just I'm just going to eat this myself, maybe make a few friends and share it with a few friends, but there's just there's just not enough to go around. But the boy didn't have a bag mindset. He had a basket mindset. And it didn't matter how much he had, he was faithful with what he was given, and so he comes to Jesus and gives him all that he has. He says, "I don't have much. I've got five loaves and two fish." And what did Jesus do? Jesus took that offering and he multiplied it. And fed 5, 000, over 5,000 people, and there was enough left over. They were taking baskets and baskets home, 12 baskets left over. Everyone was filled to the full because this boy didn't have a bag mindset. He had a basket mindset saying, there is God, you are more than enough. There is more than enough, and you can multiply this gift. The third and final mindset is the barn mindset. And this is the mindset that believes that God is infinitely more enough and he has all of heaven's resources at my disposal. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Joseph experienced this kind of mindset in Egypt. His barns were overflowing. In in the seven years of plenty, he stored up into these barns all that God was giving to him. He stored it up not to hoard for himself. He stored it because he knew that one day this is going to be a blessing to those who have nothing. And when God blesses you, the barn mindset understands that when God blesses me, it's so that I can bless others. When God gives you a resource, no matter how big or how small, If you keep it to yourself, what you're showing God is that when you bless me, I'm just going to keep it. I'm not going to do anything with it. But when God sees, when he blesses you, that you give and your mindset is, thank you, God, for this blessing. I'm going to go and I'm going to be your hands and feet. I'm going to bless those around me. When God sees that kind of faithfulness, guess what he does? He pours out more blessings. This is the parable of the talents, right? When he saw that the men were faithful with what they had been given, he poured out more onto them because he knows that those with barn mindsets, they can be trusted with heaven's resources. 
We are a blessing. We, we receive blessing from God in order to be a blessing. And this is what Joseph did in Egypt. He was a blessing to the nations. Now, as I read Proverbs 3, some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, pastor, but that's Old Testament. Show me somewhere in the New Testament that generosity is a thing. Well, generosity is a kingdom mindset. It's not an Old Testament thing. It's old and new. And tithing is a spiritual principle. It's a timeless principle. It's wisdom for living. God put us on this earth to be stewards of his creation. From the very beginning, we see this. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gives them dominion. He says to take care of the land, to multiply, to subdue the earth. He wants us to be stewards of what he has and what he has given us, what he has created. And if we view our money as ours, then there's only a limited supply. It's hard to give because I can only do so much. But if we view it as God's, then there's an infinite supply. And it's a joy to give when we think, it, we think of it like that. We have to shift our thinking to understand that we're not owners of our money. We are managers of God's money. The word tithe literally means a tenth. And giving God one-tenth of what you have, it actually precedes the law. It precedes when uh, Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and, and God laid out the law for Israel. It is before, the principle of tithing is before the law. In Genesis 14, verse 17 through 20, it says, After Abram returned from defeating, I can't even pronounce that name, Kedor Lomer, and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by, the, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram gave God a tenth of what he had before God gave Israel the law. And giving to God, it isn't an Old Testament thing. It's a kingdom mindset. Now, you may be still skeptical and thinking, sure, I'd love to adopt the barn mindset, but I, I'm, a pastor doesn't change the fact that I'm struggling month to month. It doesn't change the fact that I've still got bills to pay. How can I be expected to give anything knowing my finances are the way they are right now. First off, let me just say that there's a reason that the tithe is a percentage and not a set amount because it's different for each person depending on their level of resources. Secondly, it's important to realize that tithing is not a law. For some of you, this is kind of blowing your mind right now, okay? <laughs> tithing is not something that God has commanded us to do. It's not a law. Jesus doesn't command us to give 10%. He invites us to experience the blessings that come through generosity. Tithing is a principle of God's kingdom that brings real blessing to those who practice this principle. In fact, in fact, tithing is the only thing in Scripture where God challenges us to test him. Scripture says not to test God, but this is the one instance that we find in Scripture where God challenges us to test him. And in Malachi 3.10 it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. I want to see people grow from a bag mindset to a barn mindset. Not for the benefit of our church or the benefit of our reputation, but for your benefit, for for your growth. And the only way to grow out of the bag mindset is to give. It's to practice generosity. And for some of you, that is the first step. Here's an eye-opening truth. We as Americans, we have barn blessings, but bag mindsets. Most of us have barn blessings, but bag mindsets. According to the Washington Post, a typical American earns income that is 10 times the income received by the average person in the world. The average American earns 10 times the amount of of the average person around the world. And when Americans were asked what they figured the global median income was, the average U.S. resident estimated that it was about $20,000 a year. But in fact, the real answer is about 10th of that figure, roughly $2,100 per year. Did you hear that? The average annual income around the globe is $2,100 per year. But Americans, oh, yeah, they they thought it was probably around $20,000. And when asked to guess, Americans typically place themselves in the top 37% of the world's income distribution. However, the vast majority of U.S. residents, they rank comfortably in the top 10% of the world's wealth distribution. The average American is in the top 10% of the world's wealth distribution. We have barn blessings. And we don't realize it. Because we are surrounded by our culture and our settings and don't see the needs of people around the world, don't see how other people live. We only compare ourselves to Joe down the street who just got a new house and just got a bigger uh, a new boat, right? Or we, we, we compare ourselves to those around us and we don't understand that there are people around the world who are desperately in need. We have barn blessings, yet we live with bag mindsets. I'm not sure I'm going to have time to go into the rest of my message, so I'm thinking I'm going to have to wrap this up pretty soon. Are you guys okay? Okay. I'll go a little bit longer. I know that we have kids, kids waiting for us. But the way to leave this mindset and to live in contentment is by practicing generosity. It's the grace of giving. We practice the principle of the tithe with whatever resources or financial status we currently experience, whatever we are currently in. And in the Bible, the tithe, did you know this? The tithe was never supposed to be all that was given to God, but rather it was supposed to be a starting point. It was instituted to help God's people begin to learn how to give and become channels of his blessing. Some of you think God wants 10% of your money. He doesn't. He wants all of your money. But he's going to start with 10% until we can learn to be generous people and trust him more and more and more. For the remainder of our time, I'm going to quickly go over these four, uh, four characteristics or qualities 
of kingdom giving. Number one is this. Kingdom giving includes giving consistently. Giving consistently. Generosity isn't something we practice only when we're feeling generous or we have more than enough. It's a continual act of trust in God and service to others. In the early church, they relied on consistent giving to support the ministry and further spread the gospel around the world. We see Paul give this instructions to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 3, Paul says this, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. He was saying, give consistently. On the first of every week, set aside a sum of your money. Give consistently to support the furthering of the gospel, to support the ministry. Paul was asking people to give consistently that was, uh, that was uh, in keeping up with the person's income. And he made it clear to the churches that he needed consistent giving to aid and furthering the gospel around the world. People often forget about the logistics and practical needs of the church. That we are, we are here to spiritually feed not only the people in this room, but the people in our community. We are here to, here to bring discipleship around the world. But there, there, there's stuff that has to happen in order for that to take place. There are some logistical things that need, there are practical needs of the church. And the reality is, is our church cannot continue ministry in our community without your participation, without your koinonia, your fellowship, your ownership. Some of you may be giving to other ministries or charities around the world, and I applaud your generous heart. I love that. Keep giving to them. But know that I, I believe that we should be giving our 10% to the place that you consider to be your church family or your community and everything else that you give is above and beyond that 10%. Whether it's missions, whether it's, it's another ministry around our nation or around the world. But that consistent giving of the 10%, I believe, is a principle that, that Paul recognized to continue furthering ministry in our communities. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. The second thing, after giving consistently, number two, is we're supposed to give abundantly. Give abundantly. Now, there isn't a number attached to generosity. And the prosperity gospel, they would declare that the more money you give, the more blessed you will be. Right? If you give $100, God will give you X, Y, Z. But if you give $1,000, God's really going to bless you. That's the prosperity gospel. That's not what we're about, church. God isn't looking for a specific amount. He's only concerned with the posture of your heart. When you give. And for some, abundantly might be $20. That's the reality in this room. Is for some of you, ab giving abundantly might be $20. And for others, it may be $20,000. Depending on how much you have to steward in this season of your life. And each of us has to determine what abundantly means for us in this season. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And the Bible teaches us to start with the first 10% of what we have, which means our gross income before taxes are taken out, the first fruits of our labor. I hear many people talk about 
what, what they would do if they won the lottery. You ever ask somebody that? If you won $95 million, if you hit the, if you hit the jackpot, what would you do? I hear people say all the time, oh, I'd buy a house for my parents. I'd, I'd pay off all my family's debt. I'd give a ton of it to the church, to charity. I would do all this great stuff. But many of those same people struggle with giving even 5% of their income. How, do you, how can you be expected to be trusted with $20 million when you can't even be trusted with $20? God is saying, start with what you have. Let me develop a generosity in you with where you're at. He's not looking for a specific amount. He's not looking for you to get to a certain level. He just wants you, he wants to posture your heart to be generous so that you can experience that freedom in your life. God invites us to practice abundant generosity so that he can abundantly bless us again to bless others. It's this back and forth exchange. Where we bless others and God says, you've been faithful. I'm going to give you more. And we say, thank you, God. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to bless other people with that. And God keeps giving. We can't, you can't outgive God. You know that? You, can't, you can try. I encourage you to try. But you can't outgive God. And when we give abundantly, we reveal to God that we can be trusted with more of heaven's resources to further bless those around us. The third thing is kingdom giving consists of giving cheerfully. <laughs> cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Remember that tithing is a principle that God created to teach us the joy of generosity. It's not a law that demands it from you. Tax season is coming up. We're in tax season right now. How many of you are excited to pay your taxes? Yeah. We're required to pay our taxes. It's the law. And how much joy do we have when you're required to give something? Not a lot of joy, right? None. God is not forcing you to give because that wouldn't teach us anything. That's why giving is not a law. Tithing is not a law. It is a principle. And honestly, consistent giving for myself and my wife, in the beginning, it was not a cheerful experience. It was difficult at first to trust God with 10% of our annual income. And my wife and I disagreed about how much we should give, and we argued a bit because we knew where else that 10% could be spent. We missed that money. We missed that 10% at first. It hurt. But we've been consistently tithing for over a decade now, and we can say that I would rather have 90% of our income with God's blessing than 100% of it without God's blessing. I've never heard somebody say, ah, I wish I didn't tithe. And I wish I didn't give. I wish I wasn't generous. Because those who give consistently and abundantly and cheerfully, they are experiencing the joy of generosity. Like giving gifts to others at Christmas, there's a joy that comes from knowing, from knowing God is multiplying my gift to bless others. And the last one is this. It's giving sacrificially. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. 
For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The early church, they not only gave a tenth, they shared everything because they understood that they were merely stewards of God's possessions. And when you begin to tithe consistently, it hurts a little at first for some people. And sometimes you miss that extra 10%. And when you're giving is sacrificial, that's how you know it's fueled by faith. When you're giving is sacrificial, I remember as a young man, like not even having a job, I remember just like earning 25 bucks through my allowance or doing some odd jobs at a person's house and having only $20 in my pocket. And I would be at church and, I, and they would pass around the bucket and I'd ask the Lord, how much of this do you want to give? And God would say, all of it. What? I I'm like 10, 12 years old. I worked hard for this $20. Put it in. And as a young man, I just remember that, that sacrifice of just like putting it in and just going, okay, God, like, I just want to show you that I love it. It was an act of worship for me as a young man. And it helped to shape my idea of God's provision and the joy of giving and freeing myself. I believe that that was instrumental in freeing myself from from being enslaved to money. I love this story in 1 Chronicles 21. There's this, an angel of the Lord appears to David and instructs David to build an altar. And so David goes to the owner of the land where he wants to build the altar, and he asks if he could purchase the property. And the owner of the land sees David and sees an angel of the Lord with David, and he falls to his knees and he bows to David. And he tells David, you can take the land. Just have it. Just, I'll give it to you. It's free. And this is David's response to the, 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 the property owner. In First Chronicles 21, he said, no, I, on, I insist on paying full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. David knew in order for it to be a sacrifice, a true sacrifice of worship, it had to cost something. Giving a percent of our finances to God is an act of worship. It truly is. It's an act of worship. And so I'm asking you today to consider what the Lord is asking you to sacrifice to him. I'm going to invite Mary to come up as we close. And I want you to know this. If you... If you do not already give consistently and if, or, or abundantly or cheerfully or sacrificially, then I believe God in his word is inviting you to experience a new level of his goodness in your life. And it's difficult. For some of us who haven't practiced tithing before, it is a, a difficult practice sometimes to step into. But consider giving consistently to your church home. And if this is your church home, I want you to know that our church can be trusted with your finances, that we are not about building a reputation or just filling the, 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 the seats with, with people. We truly want to have an impact in our community. And next week, I encourage you, if you're a member of our church and you give, come to our annual church report to learn what exactly we're doing in our community. Our, our vision is to see dry places saturated with God's presence. And we're we're helping to accomplish that by intentionally discipling people in our community. 
My wife and I started tithing shortly after we got married. Like I said, we had disagreements about how much and how often we should give. But we have personally experienced the provision and blessing of God in our lives. As we've been consistent givers and abundant givers and cheerful givers and sacrificial givers. And if you're visiting today, I want you to know that there's absolutely no pressure for you to give. That's not what I'm trying to do. But if you consider this your church home, I want you to know that the money that you give is being wisely invested into doing into what God is doing at our church. In fact, we have an amazing church council that's generous and responsible, and we believe in transparency. And so would you stand with me? I want to pray that God would give us barn mindsets, that he would give us generous hearts that desire to bless others. Close your eyes with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are a people with barn blessings, even though we might not always see it or understand it. Spirit of God, I ask that you would show us how to worship you with our finances, that we would surrender that part of our life to you. And God, I pray for those of us who are hesitant, who are, who are struggling, God, that you would release something in their spirit as they give they would not be enslaved by money, that they would leave the bag mindset, move into the barn mindset. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our church. And we trust you, we praise you, in your name we pray. And the church said, amen.